join me please in Philippians chapter 1 as we continue our series through the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And we will begin by reading verses 21 through 30. The Bible says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I will not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. So we considered last time how Paul was in a strait betwixt two. He had a desire to go home, to be with God, which he knew would be far better than anything that this life had to offer. But he also knew that if he stayed, it was going to be needful, beneficial, Uh, For others. And so he says, You know, it's needful for me to be here for the saints. And and listen tonight, though it'd be far better if we were to leave and go home and be with Christ in glory, we are still here abiding in the flesh because God has a purpose for your life. Do you believe that tonight? He has a purpose for you. Nothing's by accident. I hope you're convinced of this. God wants to use your life. Hallelujah. And if you'll give your life to God for Him to use as He sees fit, then you'll learn that God still has you here because He has designed you to be needful for someone else. What a humbling thought. We are to build each other up and we are to win the lost. We are needful for saints and sinners. And now as we begin tonight... Look at verse 25. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Remember in verse 19 that Paul wrote, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. God had given Paul hope that through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and through the prayers of the saints in Philippi, that he would be delivered from prison. And he writes here about abiding and continuing on the earth beyond his current imprisonment. And for those who want to study this further, let me chase this down, and it'll be extremely boring for most of you. There is some debate as to whether or not Paul died at the end of this imprisonment or if he was released, was re-imprisoned and died after that. 
tradition states that Paul was beheaded at the command of Nero. And that is who Paul is here awaiting to stand trial before. So did Paul at this time die while he was in Rome, or was Paul put to death sometime later when he was back in prison in Rome again? As of right now, (laughs) subject to change, this is my personal opinion. Paul was likely released from this imprisonment and was likely martyred a few years later. And I say this because he writes here with this confidence of being released and seeing the Philippian believers again. But we don't find this kind of expectation when he knew he was at the end of his life for sure. We see that over in 2 Timothy. And most believe 2 Timothy was written around 67 AD. But he wrote there in 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 7, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Listen, when he writes that, he knows he's on the doorstep, right? But in what we commonly call the prison epistles, which Philippians is one, it would also be Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, they were written during this imprisonment in Rome, and we don't find Paul writing with that attitude of, I'm at the end. In fact, we really find quite the opposite. He wrote to Philemon in verse 22 over there, But with all, prepare for me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Well, that doesn't sound like a man who's expecting to die. Have me a room ready, amen, because when I get out of prison, I'm coming over. And even here in verse 26, he writes, By coming to you again. He's expecting to be released. Now, what gives me some pause about my opinion, and that's all it is, is when Paul calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus while in Miletus, he tells them that he shall see their face no more. Actually, what he says is, you shall see my face no more. Well, he said that before he ever went to Jerusalem and got arrested and ended up going on to Rome. So, apparently he had some idea of, I don't know. Um, That gives me a little pause right there. And then, in addition to that, Though Paul says he's confident here to abide and continue with them, he will say in chapter 2 of this book, in verse 17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. He says, look, if I'm offered, meaning if, I'm, if, if I die. And then in chapter 2, verse 23, he writes, Him therefore I hope to send presently, speaking about Timothy, He's hoping to send him so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. Hey, I don't know what's going to happen. But then he follows that up in chapter 2 and verse 24. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. So he's confident, but he doesn't appear to be absolutely convinced either. Everybody catching that? And to my knowledge, we have no way of knowing Paul's fate, for sure. But if the most commonly received dates are somewhat correct, then Paul would have written Philippians around the year 62. Rome was burned down in 64, which Nero blamed the Christians for and consequently put many of them to death. And it is believed that Paul's death took place after Rome was burned, but before Nero's 
reign ended in 68. So most would place Paul's martyrdom at 67, which would be about five years after this, meaning most believe he was released from prison, from this imprisonment, went on to do some things, and then ended up dying later, being rearrested. And ultimately what we have to do when Paul speaks of this confidence of abiding and continuing with you is we have to take that in context of what he just said. So while it would be far better to depart and be with Christ, he understood how needful it would be for the saints if he were to abide in the flesh a while longer. The confidence then isn't so much about being released from prison, but he was confident that his abiding was more needful for them than his departure. Why then does Paul say here, I know that I shall abide and continue? But then in the other verses of chapter 2, which I just read, he leaves room for the possibility to be martyred. Good question. So I tried to chase that down the best I could, and I hate to admit it, but I had to go way deeper into the, into the Greek than my mind can process adequately. But this word for no doesn't always mean absolute necessity. It's a little bit different. There's a lot of different words. There's about seven different Greek words translated no. Uh, K-N-O-W. He isn't saying that I know with 100% certainty that I will abide and continue when he says this here. But this word for no can also mean what is perceived. And it means to make a connection mentally. Therefore, because I know it is needful for me to remain, I know that. I perceive, or I'm connecting the dots together here, or it makes sense to me that I will abide and continue with you. You know, we can know something, but not really know. This is good, amen. For example, I know that my wife and I are heading to South Padre, Texas in 47 days to celebrate our 25th anniversary. I know that because I've already paid half the bill. (laughs) But do I really know that that's going to happen? I don't really know that. I know that because I paid for it. I know that's where we're heading. I know that's what we're doing. Something may come up, right? I may not even be alive. Um, Something may come up ministry-wise. I mean, there's all kind of possibilities. And so the sense here is what Paul believes will happen, but God will ultimately decide. So he says, I I know that I shall abide and continue with you. I'm perceiving that this is what God is going to do with my life. So that's my take on that. Amen. That is a lot of my opinion. And for those of you who fell asleep, you can wake back up and we can get back to preaching. So having spent far too much time on that, let's move on. We see at the end of verse 25, Paul had this confidence he would abide and continue on this earth longer. Why? For their furtherance and joy of faith. Paul understood how his life would be a profit to them, which is what is meant by that word furtherance. He would be able to advance them spiritually, and it would be a profit to them in doing so. He would advance their knowledge of God and of Christ and the gospel, and that really should be our desire here tonight. Are you getting this? Paul says... It's needful for me to be here because God has designed my life to be a prophet to others. To be valuable to somebody else. And that's what we should desire. And listen, I want you to know, I say that full well knowing the audience I'm speaking to tonight. 
This is the Wednesday night faithful. Amen. Look, you're supposed to be the ones that have realized this is important to be here tonight. Where's everybody else that's here on Sunday morning? So I know who I'm making this comment to. You believe there's a benefit in being here tonight. Or else why would you be here on a Wednesday night after working all day? I know you're tired. I don't wake people up on Wednesday nights. Aren't you glad? That really wasn't meant to be a joke, but amen. You should, being the Wednesday night folks, you should take it upon yourself to live your life in such a way that God will use you for the profit of others. And listen, you should go to those who have not yet learned to live the Christian life the way you have and encourage them to the same level of faithfulness to our other services, including our Sunday school. You should encourage... I'm not coming down on anybody. We all grow at different levels. Amen? I was there once where I barely went at all, much less Wednesday night. And I'm just saying we need to come alongside people and encourage them to grow. Listen, our prayer meeting on Wednesday night ought to be the most attended service of the week. Is this not the most important thing we do is pray? Somebody said this, if if your choir director had 20% of the choir lay out of practice, he'd be disappointed. But if the pastor had 20% of the church show up for prayer meeting, he'd be elated. This is our most important meeting. See, and you have learned this truth, and you should take it upon yourself to encourage others in our church to be here. I can't get to everybody. Imagine if our prayer meeting was the highest attended meeting, and, and we seriously prayed. You know, not just God bless the world, amen, let's go fellowship until the piano plays. Just imagine if we really cried out to God. So I'm encouraging you, build the kind of relationship with other church members which will further them along. And by church members, I just mean those who attend. Amen. Chances are you were like me once, just a Sunday morning only attender. If that, like I said. But at some point along the line, what happened to you? You began to grow. You began to grow in maturity and faith and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And and now you're at the point where you see the importance of all the services that you can. Pass that importance on to others. Be a prophet to them. Further them along in their walk with God. Listen, that's just one example of how you can help people further their faith. Um, Listen, you can edify and exhort in a number of ways. How about praying for others? Amen? And I don't mean just saying, I'll pray for you. (laughs) But praying for them. And then follow up with them and see how it's going. So that they know you really care. You can profit others by giving godly counsel from God's Word. You should be striving to grow to that point where people can come to you and you can give them counsel. That's why you're here. We're all members of the same body. Listen, you can profit others by simply being an ear sometimes. And if you've ever been in counseling situations, there's time where I just sit there and listen. And somebody will say, thank you so much, that was helping. I'm like, I didn't say a word. But you know what? It was just good to give it, get it off the chest, right? It was just good to be able to talk to somebody. Listen, you can just be an ear. You can further others by bringing them alongside of you and pointing them to Christ. 
hey, I know you're going through a hard time. Keep your eyes on the Lord. So we need to serve together, pray together, fellowship together, attend services together, and on and on, and we could list those things. And so I'm encouraging you to do so by getting outside of your favorite little group of people. Outside of your little clique. Get outside of that and encourage some other people. Take the time to get to know others before you block them out. Well, this person drives me up the wall. Yeah, I know. Help them along. Further them in the faith. Take some time to get to know people. Ask yourself this. Why am I abiding and continuing in this church? Is it just to have our social club where we can meet and catch up with our friends during the week? Or is it because you realize God has placed you here so that you can be a prophet P-R-O-F-I-T, to somebody else. That you can further their faith. That you can encourage them and build them up. Jesus said to Peter in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Speaking of Barnabas in Acts eleven twenty-three who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Of Paul and Barnabas, we read in Acts 14.22, that they were confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. You see, we need to strengthen one another. We need to encourage one another to cleave unto the Lord. And we have to rally each other to continue in the faith. Because sometimes some people are up and some people are down and it's always fluctuating. Amen. And we have to be willing to exhort them. Sometimes it just takes a word of encouragement. I have found this out, but encouragement goes a lot further than beating somebody over the head. So on Sunday morning, seek out those you really don't know. Try to get to know them a little bit. Be sure to greet our our, our visitors. Consider occasionally alternating between our two Sunday morning services. And listen, you can be up front with them and say, look, I normally go to the first service or the second service or whatever, but I just wanted to come today and meet some of you. Look, that'll make them feel good. Just mix it up. People who know that they are welcomed and appreciated are much more likely to stay. So build those profitable, strength-building friendships and exhort others along the way. Purpose to see others grow in their faith. Amen. Now, notice at the end of verse 25 that he has the confidence that he will abide and continue with them for their furtherance and joy of faith. Do you know God wants you to be cheerful in your faith? That's why we sang happiness is the Lord before preaching. Kenny didn't know it, but he opened the service with something about being glad. Oh, say, but I'm glad is out of us. Listen, God wants you to be cheerful. Man, independent Baptists are some of the most grumpiest, cantankerous, mean-spirited people you'll ever meet. Well, bless God, I know why you're wrong. 
Why are you so upset about it? It's not your life. Listen, just be happy in Jesus. Nobody knows. When you further others along, you'll help them be cheerful. And it'll be a help to you also. As you bring others along in truth by being a prophet to them, the stronger their faith will become. And the stronger their faith becomes, the more joy they will have. Because they're, they're inseparable. The more happiness they will possess. And I promise you, you will find joy in helping others. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If you don't have joy in your Christian life, something is wrong between you and God. I'm not saying that being ugly. But something is off. Now listen, I'm not saying there won't be seasons of discouragement. We all go through tough times. I'm not even saying there may not be bouts of depression along the way. Things happen, I get it. But overall, as you look at your life, there ought to be this upward trajectory of joy. Paul will write in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You see, true faith in Christ brings true happiness. Not that happiness is an indicator of our, salva our salvation. God's Word takes care of that. But happiness, joyfulness, is certainly a byproduct of being in Christ. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. And it really does. Look at the grumpy gusses. If you can't find joy in Christ dying for your sins and rescuing you from a devil's hell, then you need to examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Being saved by the grace of God in of itself should be enough to cause every one of us in Christ to be joyful for the rest of our life. Amen! Don't sound too joyful tonight. Are you in Christ? Whoop! I'm not going to hell. I'm going to live with my Lord for all eternity. Now that's enough to have the joy of faith right there. But when Paul wrote, having joy unspeakable and full of glory, do you know what he wrote before that? This is what he said. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. There is to be joy unspeakable even through the trial fires. He went on to write in chapter 4, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad, also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part He is evil spoken of, but on your part He is glorified. Peter also wrote, But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Joyful faith through difficult trials 
is one of the many Christian paradoxes. It doesn't make sense. But we are meant to learn, get this now, we are meant to learn that our circumstances aren't to be the driving factors for our joy. Even though we have trials. When we suffer and we are reproached, we can find happiness. How is this possible? Well, it's by understanding that Christ went through it. And the Bible says that Christ left us an example to follow. This is why after standing before the council and being threatened by the council, the apostles in Acts 5.41 could depart from the council, the Bible says, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. This is why after receiving many stripes and being thrown in prison, Paul and Silas could sing praises unto God at midnight so loudly that all the prisoners could hear them. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, Jesus said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. That's what Jesus said. All of those words, blessed, rejoice, exceeding glad, they all convey happiness that comes from walking with God. But I don't want you to miss this. All of those words about happiness, every one of them, are associated with something we'd rather not go through. Persecutions, reviling, speaking all manner of evil against you for Christ's name's sake. Unfortunately, many so-called preachers and teachers of our day have corrupted what it means to have the joy of faith. They speak about the blessings and the rejoicings and the gladness, but they leave off the part that talks about the trial. Let's not forget, Paul's writing this while he is under house arrest. Why is he under arrest? For his faith. We're talking about joy of faith. Here he is, he's in prison for his faith. And he has already said in verse 4 how he prays for them, making requests with joy. And in verse 18 he wrote, whether in pretense or in truth, talking about those preaching, Paul was going to rejoice that Christ was being preached. He said, I therein do rejoice and will rejoice. He was in a terrible situation outwardly, but inwardly he was rejoicing. He was glad. He was happy. He was blessed. And that's going to be a theme throughout this letter, as many of you know. But what do we often think is required for us to consider ourselves happy and blessed? We think our outward circumstances should drive our joyfulness. It's when things are going well that most people say, I'm so blessed. My finances are in order, my wife is respectful. My husband loves me, whatever the case may be. My children love the Lord. I love my job. Everything is going well and therefore I'm so blessed. You know, God has been so good to me lately. We say things like that. Or maybe it's after you've come through a very difficult situation 
some trial or hardship, when things have finally improved, now I can say I'm truly being blessed. Now I am joyful in my faith. You really weren't before, but now you are. But you see, that is man's wisdom that teaches happiness in the Lord is circumstance dependent. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. I'm preaching to myself, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Regardless of circumstances, we are still to rejoice in the Lord. Listen to what Habakkuk said in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, verses 17 and 18. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. This is sounding pretty gloomy. He writes this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Even with all that Job had to endure, he said in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. And when Job says that, you can almost sense that through all that he was going through and all of his loss and his friends giving him this great advice, right? Even through all of that, You can sense as he says that he's he's trusting in God and he knows that his Redeemer lives that one day he's going to behold God. Don't you know that brought joy to him? Come what may. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, I am exceeding joyful in our tribulation. Your circumstances may never improve to where you want them to be. But you can still rejoice that God is alive. That one day you will see Him. So no matter the situation, we should find joy in who God is. Psalm 9.14 says, I will rejoice in Thy salvation. Psalm 31.7, I will be glad and rejoice in Thy mercy. Psalm 63.7, because Thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of Thy wings will I rejoice. Truly, we have a lot to rejoice about when it comes to our faith. So come what may, we can find joy from being in Christ. In fact, He's the only means of real joy. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Joy isn't, if you kind of break that down, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Joy is not to be found in the outward blessings. It's not found because our cupboards are full or whatever material benefit we can think of that we have or may not have. But joy is found by being in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It is found by being born again. Acts 2.28 Thou hast made known to me thy ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Just knowing God, just walking with God is joy of faith. Do you have that kind of joy tonight? 
Or is your joy only found when things are going well enough in your eyes? None of this is is to suggest that we're somehow wrong for finding joy when things go well. I mean, that's a given, right? We're all familiar with that. That's easy to do. It's easy to find joy when all is good. But do you have joy through your trials as well? That's hard sometimes. We go through some deep waters. Psalm 144.15 says, Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Let's close real quickly at verse 26. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Now this word for rejoicing here isn't referring to happiness. But this word is talking about boasting, about glorying. Paul wants to be released from prison so that he can see them again because he knows it would cause them to boast about Jesus Christ. They would glory in Christ that God spared Paul from death. And this would be an encouragement to them because they're going through persecution as well in Philippi. And it would lift their spirits and strengthen their resolve to keep pressing on. And this should be our desire for answered prayer. I don't know for sure, but I can say almost every time, probably every time I've studied it, you don't find Paul praying to get out of circumstances. And and I understand we do that, and I think that's natural. I'm not condemning any who do. I'm just saying we don't find that to be the main reason for prayer in the Bible. We find David doing it a lot, amen. But what, what we find is, Prayer isn't necessarily to change our circumstances. That would be nice. Amen. That'd be nice. But our prayers are so Christ may get all the glory and that we may boast of Him. And that we may do so more abundantly as this verse says. So in closing, I would encourage you tonight, further somebody else's faith. Be profitable to them. Live with a joy of faith, no matter your circumstances. And lastly, glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. When God answers prayer, that praise goes upward. Amen? Let's close.